This is episode 50. If you've been with me since the start, you know that it's a pretty big monument because, yeah, I put in a lot of time with Fireside Bears, as do my co-hosts Joe Herf and Max Smith. Sam Stevenson's not in the house tonight. He's going to be busy with lacrosse practice over the next couple of weeks, so he's on a temporary leave of absence, but he'll be back soon so that we can resume the Jesper Horstead fan club meetings. But I'm very excited one because this is episode 52 because max and i are on here and max is not a big jesper horstead supporter either so for the first time in forever joe's outnumbered but what's up guys welcome to the fireside bears podcast you can follow us on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears we're brought to you by empire sports media sponsored by audacia sports go get your justin field stickers support the guy because he got Killed basically because of stupid baldy Matt Nagy. But make sure you're following me on Twitter. I do say coach. Follow Max on Twitter at Max Smith ESM. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joseph Herf NFL. Joe's completely silent because he's the only Jesper Horstead stand on this podcast right now. I'm pretty excited, but I'm going to go to Max first because he's eating dinner. But Max, what's going on? How are you doing? Also, what's on the menu? Yeah, uh, I had some rice. I got, you know, a 25 pound bag of rice at Costco. It's such a good deal. Uh, and some sausage and eggs because I felt like breakfast because I nap so long after work. But I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about. I'm always down to talk about Jesper Horstead. Uh, in the, you know, week three, when this kid will never see a snap in a, a real meaningful game for his entire NFL career. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of more, a lot of other things that are much more important to talk about, uh, specifically Mr. Nagy himself. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, Usain and I, uh, we run the YouTube channel. I'm the big YouTube guy here. And uh, I specifically remember we got a lot of hate for for calling out Nagy, specifically for mentioning his bald head. There were like four bald dudes in the comments that were really upset about it. Uh, so no personal offense to them. Uh, but I think at this point, it's clear to say that we can make fun of Nagy in Chicago uh, without fearing anybody kind of being mad at us for, for personally attacking the head coach. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it there, but, but yeah, I'm going to go back to eating. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it does feel very odd being outnumbered when it comes to Jesper Horstead. I just love that. I love that. I had Sam here to help me with the Jesper Horstead love to go after you said for his horrible tweets that I was saying to cut him, and he definitely will have meaningful snaps one day when Jimmy Graham eventually retires, just saying, but uh, yeah, I'm also all for just absolutely talking bad about Nagy um, and just kind of, Talking his bald head, you know, I mean, I know, obviously, like, like you were saying, Max, um, nothing against bald guys. It just happens to be that Nagy is bald and he, as me and my buddies like to call him, he's a bald fraud. So, yeah, I'm all for talking bad about him. So let's get this thing moving. Well, one of my good buddies, Joe Gaithier, who covers the University of Alabama, he's on the Alabama beat. He actually calls him the bald bastard. I totally agree with that. But let's just get right into Bears talk, guys. I mean, this game was a disaster from start to finish when you march down the field your first drive you get a field goal i'm like okay maybe something's going on here the defense is playing well enough now all the offense has to do is get going and capitalize and i totally understand why there was a slow start simply because there was justin fields i thought that the bears would pick it up but let's just get right into the play calling i mean joe i'm gonna go to you on this one while max finishes up his dinner but 
Break down Matt Nagy's play calling for me. What exactly went wrong? Because they didn't chip Miles Garrett or Jadavian Clowney. Decided to seemingly run a lot of 11 personnel, which was a dumb move considering you're playing two really good edge rushers, so you should be running 12 and 13 personnel. And then it seemed like no one could get into any sort of rhythm. The offensive line was using five-man protections multiple times. Offensive line was completely out of sync, including one pass where Justin Fields, it was intended for Allen Robinson on a short sit route, but then ended up hitting Jason Peters in the back. Side note, Jason Peters should not be on this roster the moment Larry Borum's healthy. But Joe, what went wrong? Honestly, I don't think Nagy went to that game with a game plan from the look of it. Like it really seemed like he had no idea what he was doing. He was blindly just picking plays out of a hat. Like the game started off great. Like you were saying, the defense had a great stop. Montgomery started off with a nice, solid run to start the game. And I was like, okay, maybe we actually are going to win this game. Maybe like we're going to put some things together. Like everything started running through my head that we actually had a real team. And then it went downhill from there. We got the field goal, obviously, which is just fine to start the drive. Like you were saying, it's okay to start slow when you have a rookie quarterback in. I did not think the slow start would happen the entire game though. I really thought we would get something going at some point. And like you were saying, a lot of 11 personnel is no chipping. It seemed like nobody knew what they were doing. There was times where, again, Jason Peters, got absolutely murdered for his game and he absolutely deserved it, but he didn't get any help either. Like he really never had a tight end chipping miles Garrett. Like miles Garrett is the perfect counter to Jason Peters due to his speed, his athleticism. You have a 39 year old left tackle going against arguably the fastest edge, probably in the NFL. He's going to struggle. It's hard for him. Like he's slower. He's more meant obviously for run blocking because he's bigger and he can just get in people's way and move people. But when it comes to pass blocking against those speed rushers, he's going to struggle. You've got to get, Comet lined up there to chip them. And then it just seemed like times like there was just miscommunications along the line, which again, that again, that is an issue with the quarterback, but that's also an issue with the coaching. It just seemed like there's one specific play where it seemed like Peters and white here went on to a double team, leaving uh, Jeremiah Wusakoromoa free to blitz. And it's nobody picked him up. He just went free, killed Justin Fields usual, but it just seemed like there was no preparation, no game plan. We just threw in the Andy Dalton offense and put Justin Fields in there, plugged it, expected it to work, and it, it didn't work. Yeah, I certainly think that that's true, and I'll let Max go in a moment here, but I also just want to add on. I mean, you talk all the time about this Andy Dalton versus Justin Field offense. I mean, I think it's very clear that the Bears are once again doing what they did in 2020 and running a two-quarterback system, which makes absolutely zero sense because when we had Caitlin Charkey back on the show in, I want to say, June or July, one of the things she talked about from being at House all every day, and I also did my own digging and research and talked to other people outside of Caitlin that were out at Hallis all every single day watching practices last year is that players felt like there was more of an emphasis on the quarterback competition than there was the two QB than there was actually getting acclimated with the offense. The reason I bring it up here is because the way Andy Dalton plays is vastly different from anything that we want to see with Justin Fields. And then you look at the play calling. Let me add this in too. I mean, how many times were there rollouts that were designed to basically get Justin Fields moving and making plays on the run or hitting guys open in space. There was absolutely none of that. I thought that any sort of play action that the Bears were going to run, the Browns were able to just really counter it perfectly because I think that Matt Nagy's offense is way too predictable at a point where 
you can just look at the screen. You can see, okay, these are the three or four players that are on the field right now, the playmakers, and this ball is going to this player because this guy is the first read, okay? And just what it's become as soon as we've watched this offense over the last basically four seasons. Now, I will say this. I think that from 2018 to 2019 to 2020, and then the first three games of 2021, there's been such a dramatic shift in offensive philosophy to the point where in 2018 – Anything that Nagy called that seemingly worked, everyone was totally on board with it because he was like the cool new kid in town that everyone wanted to be around. And now it's just like no one wants to be around Matt Nagy. But Max, go ahead. What went wrong with all this trash play calling? Yeah, so it, it extends beyond play calling as well. And there's a lot of people that's not a defense of Nagy as a character, as a coach. It, it's more so just an indictment of him as a coach. Because when, like, like Joe said, if, if, if your players, especially if your offensive line isn't on the same page, that usually has to do with, with poor coaching. And I, I don't think that's Juan Castillo. I think fundamentally these linemen are, are good. Um, outside of Jermaine Effetti, uh, there are clear times where he literally just took the wrong gap steps or the long, um, um, long, 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 long away from where he needs to be to stop Davian Clowney, who's one of the fastest, one of the best. Uh, Miles Garrett, this, they just have one of the best lines in the entire defense or the NFL, the, the Browns do. So uh, specifically what I'm looking at is there's a simple third in a couple, easy, easy, easy pickup. This is after your defense just stopped the Browns offense on a fourth down conversion, absolutely shut them down. You're going into this week knowing that to beat the Browns, your defense has to play. Browns are one of the best offenses in the league. They have an offense that'll carry them to the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Bears defense completely shuts them down. What does the offense do? Well, they go out and they dud, right? Jason Peters, like you mentioned, you said he's a he's a well, he's a rush passer. He's just a big body there to kind of knock some guys around. Well, Matt Nagy saw the same exact thing. Let's do a quick pitch out where we're going to ask our 39-year-old guy to reach up to the second level of the field and engage with a linebacker. Guess what? He does that. But for some reason, he's way, way, way on the edge. Like he's at the hash mark, outside hash mark. David Montgomery doesn't know what to do because he's taught to go around the tackle, not in between them on a pitch out. So David Montgomery has to do that, and he runs right into a linebacker. So right there, you have an instance of, well, the players fundamentally know what they're doing. It's just nothing is cohesive. Nothing is coherent. And Nagy, right, Nagy runs nothing but spread all day long he is the spread king right but here's the issue when you have a rookie quarterback who strengths rely on his passing game strengths rely on his running game strengths rely on his ability to get outside of the pocket your spread offense is built around a quarterback who's going to sit in this pocket for at least a second rip it to the first wide open receiver in a spread gun offense justin fields is not that guy and it's very clear justin fields is not that guy we knew Justin Fields wasn't that guy when we drafted him. So why is Matt Nagy pretending Justin Fields is that guy? Because Matt Nagy refuses to make an offense for any other guy. We've gone through so many quarterbacks because none of them fit his scheme, right? That isn't to say that they weren't talented quarterbacks. Mitch Trubisky is going to have a good career. He's going to have, he just is, but not with an offense designed by Matt Nagy. So, I mean, when you have Nick Foles, who's extremely vocal about how much he dislikes this offense, because, again, Nick Foles isn't designed for this offense either. Nick Foles is an athletic quarterback. He likes to be on the move. Andy Dalton is perfect for this system because he sits there in the spread and just looks for the first guy open, and he slings it. Okay, cool. But guess what? You signed him to a one-year $10 million contract, and you drafted, you traded up to draft a uh, rookie in the first round? 
you you need to think about what you're going to do with this kid. It's clear, it's clear that the ego of Matt Nagy got in the way of the development of Justin Fields. It's clear that the locker room is completely lost out to sea. It's clear that the offense is completely surrounded by Matt, uh, surrounded around Justin Field. Because I mean, we, we just watched the game. If you look at the tape, if you look at the sideline, who are consistently talking to Justin? Offensive players are talking to Justin more than they're going up to uh, to Matt Nagy trying to ask questions. And I mean, every time we see a, a situation like this, I mean, this reminds me a lot of Week Nine last season against the Titans, right? Where everyone says we need to get Nagy out of Chicago. It's an absolute, you know, shit show. Nick Foles is on the sidelines. He's he's talking to Matt Nagy. He's trying to figure out what's going on. What's going on? Matt Nagy next week says, "Well, I'm going to let Bill Lazor call the show." And then where are we? We're back at the same point, right? The the classic joke. Uh, insanity. What's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. We as Bears fans and analysts are watching the same thing over and over and over again, and we're seeing the same results. So long story short, was there a game plan? I'm sure there was, but also, I'm sorry, my last point why has this Bears defense been so good the past couple of years? Why has that been the only saving grace with this team outside of some special teams play? Because Matt Nagy has nothing to do with the defense. Not a single one of his fingers touches this defensive scheme. Goes completely out of his, over his bald head. He sticks with the offense. Offense continuously is one of the worst in the league. The, that was awesome. And I'm going to add this on. I think they... You talk about this scheme. I mean, it was very clear in 2019. It wasn't working. It was very clear in 2020 that the Bears had to limp to the finish line. And now it's just like you mentioned the quarterbacks that don't fit the system. I went back for our website today, Fireside Bears, and I wrote a quick article about who's more to blame. Is it Matt Nagy's just Justin Fields? Naturally, you guys know I'm going to say Matt Nagy because I've been very vocal on this show. They, Matt Nagy's the real issue. And I said, I was just like, when you are – on your fifth starting quarterback in four seasons, the five starting quarterbacks being Mitch Trubisky, Chase Daniel, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields, Nick Foles. I don't count Tyler Bray because Tyler Bray is just completely irrelevant. When you're on your fifth starting quarterback in four years, you can't figure it out. Two of those guys were young players that you have basically went ahead and said, I'm going to take charge of developing these guys, but you can't get it right with them. That I think tells me all I need to know about where the bears are really at. But Joe, let's go ahead and switch gears here. I mean, everyone right now thinks that the solution is to go ahead and just switch play callers. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to start with you on this one, then bounce it over to Max. Do you guys think that switching play callers is actually going to make something happen? No. I mean, that's just my gut feeling. I honestly don't think, first of all, I don't think that you will switch play calls anyway. Um, I think the more, the biggest issue right here is a scheme issue more than a play calling issue, just because like we've said, it's just trying to put Justin Fields into the Andy Dalton scheme. That's not working at the moment. So, and like Max was saying, Justin Fields is not built for this offense. Justin Fields needs to throw the ball downfield. He needs to kind of take time and let plays develop because that's where he's strongest at using his arm. So moving plays around the pocket, um, using his legs to create space, uh, play action boots, rolling out, moving the pocket, just things like that. That's, that's all we ask for in, certain, in terms of his scheme. So until that changes, I don't think really play calling will change anything. I mean, Bill Lazor could 
change the play call all he wants, but he's still going to be calling Matt Nagy schemes that obviously are not working with the skill set of this team. Like having your four, your sub four, four wide receivers and Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin and Darnell Mooney all run short curls is not creating separation, not utilizing their strengths. We're not, we're just not, there's, there's no use to what we're doing here with this scheme. And in terms of the players until that changes, there's really going to, nothing's going to happen in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I'm, I start- I'm, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Max. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, you're you're right. I completely agree. I don't think Bill Lazor is going to have any more success that, that Matt Nagy um, didn't have, especially past two years. This offensive brain trust that they built hasn't really proven to be anything more than a, you know, straight D student, uh, probably not go to college, get a job at McDonald's and, um, I don't know, maybe join the military because they have nothing else to do with their life. Uh, to get out of their their tragic situation, which is Hallis Hall right now. Um, I mean, I, I really don't know what else to say there. Like, Bill Lazor obviously has success with Andy Dalton, um, understands Dalton incredibly well. Uh, Andy Dalton's not a bad quarterback by any definition of, of the word bad quarterback. Uh, he'll be, you know, remembered by YouTube channels and whatever next social media channels down the line for years and years to come as that guy from the Bengals uh, who almost, you know, what, whatever happened to Andy Dalton and the Bengals. So there's nothing wrong necessarily with Bill Lazor. Uh, it's just this scheme, this team isn't surrounding Justin Fields with talent. Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson are fantastic wide receivers. Outside of that, you have little to no depth in the wide receiver position. And I've been saying this for weeks we like to say, oh, speed, 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 speed. Speed means literally nothing if your guys can't run routes. Speed means literally nothing if your guys don't have hands. Speed literally means nothing if your guys don't have strength to, to get off of heavier defenders, to get off these strong D-backs that are in this league. It means nothing. Cool, you have speed. All right. You can't even get the ball in the hands of your guys that have speed because you're not scheming the guys who have this speed to get down the field. So it's not going to change with the magic wave of the wand. Like, what, what, what did we see last year? We saw Bill Lazor come into play calls and we saw call plays and we saw Mitch Trubisky come in to take over the, the, the field. And the ball was moving. We we're like, oh, my gosh, this is night and day. But if you, if you really go back and you watch the tape, you notice Bill Lazor just, just did what Mitch liked. Bootlegs, bootlegs, bootlegs. And Mitch is good. Mitch is good off the bootleg first read. That's what he's good at. That's his bread and butter. That's what Bill Lazor did. Was it enough to win games? Yeah, against pretty bad teams. Was it enough to win games against good teams? No. But that's just who the Bears are right now. And we snuck into situations last year in the playoffs and an 8-8 and team two years ago where we're like trying to convince ourselves that we're a good team. We are not. I want to make this very clear. We are not a good team. We do not have the talent to go far in this league, in this year, for a year or two more to come. So us magically removing Matt Nagy with Bill Lazor or, say, make Sean Desire head coach or make John Filippo our interim head coach isn't going to change anything. It's not like we're magically going to go to the Super Bowl. So I just don't understand this, this incessant need to get Matt Nagy out of here sooner than later because it's not going to change anything. Yeah, I'm going to look, I threw this possibility out there on Twitter yesterday and I was just like, if 
you're going to sit here on a Monday morning and you're going to talk about the possibility of Matt Nagy being fired. I mean, I'm going to say this much. I think that if you were going to replace him with someone as an interim head coach, it would certainly have to be John Filippo or Bill Lazor. I just do not see any way that Sean decides experience enough. Now, regarding switching play callers or something's going to happen, you can switch play callers, but at the end of the day, if your team isn't executing, which the Bears aren't doing right now, it doesn't matter. It's almost as if it seems like Bears fans have kind of talked to themselves, and I shouldn't even say it seems as if, because it is this way, where Bears fans have magically just talked themselves into, okay, hey, if we switch play callers and we go from Matt Nagy to Bill Lazor, this switch is going to flip and everything's suddenly going to be okay. Bill Lazor is going to do kind of what you said, Max. He's going to do the exact same thing with Justin Fields and Andy Dalton that he did with Mitch Trubisky last year, which is basically call the stuff that they like because he knows that that's the only way to continuously keep this offense even looking serviceable. That's all this really is. And I think that we also have to factor this in is that the Bears final, well, the Bears are getting to a point now where it's just like, okay, you're playing Detroit on Sunday. That should technically be a winnable game. After that, you're on the road in Vegas and what's going to be a tough environment because the Raiders have surprises. Then you come back home for Green Bay and then you're on the road in Tampa Bay. So three of your next four games are against teams that have made the playoffs. Let's just say there's a four game stretch over the next four weeks. Will Bill Lazor's calling the place. It doesn't guarantee that things are going to be better because those teams, Green Bay, Vegas, Tampa Bay, they're going to pick up on what the Bears are doing very quickly just because irrespective of John Gruden, I know a lot of Bears fans like to make fun of John Gruden for the Khalil Mack trade, but let's be real. Year four with the Raiders, he's got them looking really good. Year four with the Bears, Matt Nagy's still trying to figure out an offensive identity and figure out what this team is. And so ultimately, it's just like you can switch play callers, you can hand over the duties, you can relegate things. But until your approach also changes, it doesn't matter. And then last and final point from here, Max, you touched on the fact that, you know, the Bears, everyone thinks, oh, a switch is going to flip. Look. This isn't a very good football team. You're right. I think that at the start of the offseason, Ryan Pace did two things. And Matt Nagy was guilty of this, too. Number one, when he publicly came out and said that the strength of the roster was the defense, let me clarify. He wasn't wrong. But that was also at a time where Kyle Fuller was still on the roster. Now, the strength of this roster is still the defense. And that's because of your core players like Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, um, Eddie Goldman as well, who we hope is going to be back from a knee injury. Robert Quinn's been looking really good too. You can throw Bilal Nichols in there. That's the strength of this defense or the roster because there's so much continuity. It's the defense. But I also think that the Bears, where they really failed flat on their heads was that Ryan Pace said, he's just like, oh, we've been in the playoffs two out of the last three years. And ultimately... Pace didn't say this specifically, but what they alluded to was we have a good defense. We've been in the playoffs two out of the last three years. We want to upgrade the quarterback position. That's why we let Mitch Trubisky go. So essentially, they were just alluding to the fact that, hey, we feel like we're a quarterback away from truly contending. But I think that anyone who's followed and covered and analyzed the Bears this offseason knows that they were more than a quarterback away. And I thought that Sunday was a complete nutshell of the Bears being more than a quarterback away from truly being not even a championship contending team, just a consistently good team that's able to get to the playoffs and make noise every year. I completely agree. I mean, to touch on what you guys were saying in general, just about this team, I don't think they're not talented, but I don't think they're talented enough to make a run. 
Like they had definitely have talent. I mean, they have a, a top, an arguably top 10 wide receiver on their team, an arguably top 10 running back on their team. They have a, a high end left guard in Cody Whitehair, a promising right guard that, if with good coaching and, and a correct scheme, could turn into a high end right guard. They have a, a right tackle who, who their offensive line coach claimed could be a pro bowler this year. Like on paper, they have a talented roster. It's just the coaches don't know how to put them into the correct situations for them to succeed. And that's what separates Nagy from coaches like Shanahan, like Brian Dable, like Joe Brady on the Panthers. Just like all the coaches that we've talked about multiple times that know how to put their players in positions to succeed. They know how to win games because they don't try and put, as we always use the common analogy with Matt Nagy, Mitch Trubisky, and everybody else, square pegs into circle holes. That's all Nagy's always trying to do. And until, again, it seems like he's never going to learn it because it's year four, but until he learns that, nothing's going to change, and this roster is not going to win games. We're just in trouble. And like you were saying, they thought they were QB away. They're not a QB away. And it's because of the way we're playing the players that are on this roster. We need we need a better center, obviously. We, we need a younger, better left tackle, which Larry Bourne would be perfect for that if he comes back healthy and if he takes a step forward, we expect him to. We could use better wide receivers. Like like Max was saying, yeah, sure, all our wide receivers are very fast, but we have nobody that can block at the wide receiver position because anybody who has decent size at the wide receiver position is Allen Robinson, and he is afraid to block for some reason. So anytime we have anything on the perimeter, screenplays don't work. Uh, any pitches to the outside don't work because corners just run free. So this roster just is just built so odd. Like you just can't tell – the continuity between Pace and Nagy is just so off. You can't tell what they're trying to do. And it, it's just clear and obvious to me. Yeah, I mean, it, good coaches turn mediocre players into good players, right? Good coaches put mediocre players in good situations. Ideally, you don't need an L.A. Lakers-type team, Golden State Warriors, or the Brooklyn Nets super team, to win you games in the professional football league because it's a team sport. And that's what's incredibly important for Bears fans to, to remember is that football is a team sport. And yes, we can absolutely hammer hard. Oh, defense. I love our defense or, or, or on the offensive side of the ball, like right with that whole, we just need one. We were just one quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender, right? Like, oh, we're so close. You should have known that the second Nick Foles came in and we absolutely laid an egg we weren't just a quarterback away. We, we, we weren't. I still can't get through my head that we were 3-0 and the first three games last year, somehow miraculously, because again, defense and random little plays saved us. We were struggling from success. The great DJ Khaled album applies fantastically to the Chicago Bears. Struggling from success because you have Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy who feel comfortable in their jobs because they're winning because we go to the playoffs, because we don't have any under 500 seasons uh, since the John Fox era, which still feels like a fugue dream. And we're here, and we don't know what to do. This entire franchise feels like a boat without direction, right? We're like in the middle of the ocean without a paddle. We really don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know where to go or even how to get there. I mean, we want to bring in just, just a, like a microcosm of it. We don't even know if the Bears are going to have a stadium. Where are they going to play in the next couple of years? Because they, they don't even know where they want to play in the next couple of years. So we, we, there are so many questions around this franchise right now. And, and I want to bring in the ownership into this equation because it's the buck stops with them. 
The McCaskies have to look at this scenario and they really have to go down and say, what is going to be the best decision financially for the Chicago Bears franchise? And they have made such a mess right now that honestly, the rumors about them selling the team might be true because they might have be they might be looking at this mess right now and go, I don't know if we can solve this. I don't know what we can do about this. The, the answer for us analysts, people who are looking on the outside is very, very, very clear. Just wipe the board, start over again. Last thing you want to do, but give it another shot, right? I mean, a lot of people out there really like, I'm one of those guys. I like Ryan Pace. I think he's a fantastic, fantastic talent evaluator. I think he's literally the best overvalued scout and overpaid scout in professional football. He has a great football mind. Is he a great general manager? I'm not so sure. Matt Nagy has some football IQ. Like, I'm not going to say he's an absolute, you know, he shouldn't be in the league. Uh, is he a great head coach? No, he's not. So there are, there are people, like you just said, Joe, you're completely right. You got square pegs in, 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 in circle holes right now. It's just not connecting. It's not working. What you need is to bring somebody from the outside to completely put everything back into order. And when I say that this team isn't good, I mean they're not good together. You're going to see Allen Robinson leave Chicago and have the great, a wonderful rest of his career. You're going to see probably names like Akeem Hicks leave. You're going to see numerous older guys leave Chicago, have good golden sunsets to the rest of their career. Hell, some of them might even play in Super Bowls. And they're probably going to have, you know, a really good time. And we get to sit here and go, oh, man, what could have been, right? What could have been if only they stayed? Well, kind of sick and tired of that. So it hasn't even started yet. I'm already tired of it. So really what we need to do is we need to look at the youth core that we have right now, which is good. We have a solid core of young guys because Ryan Pace does bring in talent. He brings in good talent. He just does. So we have a good serviceable group of young guys. We should be an attractive market for a new head coach. And that's what the McCaskies need to understand. The Bears are in Chicago, third largest city in the country. We have great youth core. We have one of the most hyped rookie quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. We need to bring somebody in who knows what they're doing. My vote is for Brian Dable ultimately because he's just a meat potatoes guy because we have David Montgomery. It'd be an absolute waste to throw him outside because he probably has like two or three more good years in him. But anyways... That's, that's just where I am on this whole situation. It stops and starts with the owners. Okay, see, Max and I, like we said, like Max mentioned, I mean, he does the, me and him do YouTube two times a week, and we know what each other is thinking, so why we're pretty much inside each other's head in a good way. Um, So, Max, I was going to throw this out there, and Joe, I'm going to go to you on this one. But who's your pick for the next head coach if it comes down to this? But I think more specifically, the question is, how attractive is the Bears opening if Matt Nagy's fired, knowing that Justin Fields is on the roster for at least the next three seasons? I'm definitely with Max. So I've been calling for Brian Dable since last year. 100% on board with him. I mean, if you turn arguably the most raw quarterback prospect to come into the NFL in years and Josh Allen into what he is today, you got to be doing something right. Like Josh Allen, some people don't know this. Josh Allen didn't have a single season in his high school, college, or NFL career up until last year. He didn't have a single season above 60% completion. Think about that. 60%. That's like below average already. 
He didn't have a high school season, a college season, or an NFL season up until 2020 with above 60%. And all of a sudden last year, I believe his completion percentage was like 67 or 68. And he was an MVP candidate. Brian Dable worked magic with him. And he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any elite offensive linemen. He has a good, solid group of offensive linemen that gel together very well and all are good. Nobody's elite. He moves people around. He finds where they work out well. He brings in one elite wide receiver and a bunch of other solid receivers around him. Sound like the Bears? Yeah, exactly like the Bears. He has Stefan Diggs. He has Emmanuel Sanders, who's pretty old and kind of hasn't done anything in a few years outside of being an okay option to Drew Brees last year. And then he has like uh, the likes of like Gabe Davis and a few other guys as well. There is no like elite number two option, just like the Bears. They have Darnell Mooney, who could eventually become something, but again, nothing crazy. And just like the Bears, the Bills don't have an amazing standout tight end. They have Dawson Knox, who does his job and catches touchdown passes. That's it. The only plus is the Bears have also a raw prospect at quarterback and a better running back. They will work magic with this offense. It is perfectly built for his offense in terms of running the spread, taking deep shots, establishing the run, and just and just balancing your offense very well. He's, he's perfectly built for it. it, it it's just a dream scenario i don't see a better offensive coordinator to turn into a head coach outside of him yeah i'm gonna go real quick here before max goes but i'm 110 on the brian dable train i think that another really intriguing name that would we should just toss out there for the possibility would be joe brady current offensive coordinator of the carolina panthers i would even go with byron left which offensive coordinator of the tampa bay buccaneers but i've also got all 32 teams pulled up in front of me right now and what's interesting is that as i look at all 32 teams i mean there aren't a lot of anticipated and i know we're only in week three of the season but there's a lot that could change but Right now, looking at it from a preliminary standpoint, there aren't a lot of teams next year that I anticipate having openings anyway. I mean, okay, look at the AFC North. You know they're gonna the Browns are sticking with Kevin Stefanski. The Steelers, yeah, sure. Mike Tomlin might retire. They might decide to mutually part ways. But that's also because you're at the end of an era with big Ben Roethlisberger. Could see an opening in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. But then you go to the AFC East. No one's leaving there. Um and then Houston, okay, maybe David Culley gets fired. Jacksonville, maybe Urban Meyer goes bye-bye and just goes to coach at USC or just ultimately retires altogether. Don't really see anyone in the AFC West. I could have thrown the Broncos into that hat, but I also think with the Broncos, what is that that 3 and start with our boy Vic Fangio is completely different. Um, he's going to be guaranteed year four, bearing a massive meltdown. Switch over to the NFC North. You realize, okay, Matt LaFleur is here to stay. Mike Zimmer might get fired, but the Vikings just have a love affair going on with Mike Zimmer. Detroit's committed to Dan Campbell and general manager Brad Holmes for at least the next six seasons. With the Giants, our buddies, Anthony and Alex over at Fireside Bears, who are the leaders of the Joe Judge fan club. I bother them about it on Twitter all the time because they've turned against Joe Judge. The only guy I see being fired from the NFC East is Joe Judge, but the Giants aren't smart enough to hire a guy like Brian Dable. Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, their head coaches are in place for the foreseeable future. Same thing with the NFC West. So the Bears could have a legitimate chance at a guy like a Brian Dable, Joe Brady, or even Byron Leftwich. Also, side note, because I brought um, Vic Fangio's name up, I think one of the really big goddamn issues right now with Hallis Hall, and you guys don't have to expand on this, is the fact that there is 
nobody, and I repeat absolutely nobody at Hallis Hall that's got a personality like Vic Fangio that's going to keep Matt Nagy in check. That's why Matt's kind of been running around just doing his own thing the last couple of years. And it's ultimately feel that at least in 2018, Vic could keep Matt Nagy in check, but that's not the case anymore. But Max, go ahead. What are your thoughts on this whole possible upcoming head coaching search thing? Yeah, so I think there's also another name that needs to be thrown out there just because of his pedigree. Um, Kevin O'Connell, uh, absolute bust of a quarterback. He's over with uh, Sean McVay in the Los Angeles Rams. He's the current offensive coordinator. Uh, he spent some time with uh, Kyle Shanahan uh, over in uh, San Francisco. And he also spent some time with uh, in the Browns pre-Baker uh, as a quarterback coach. So his time with Sean McVay, Sean McVay has had nothing but nice things to say about him. And he's even had an influential role in helping design McVay's offense with Matt Stafford. Uh, and, and as we know, Sean McVay loves his bootlegs. He loves his misdirection. He loves his pre-snap motion, all the things that could do incredibly well with Justin Fields. So that's a name to definitely keep an eye on in the radar as well, because he's also not going to be as one of those bigger names out in the market, just in case an absolute explosion happens. Um, I want to throw something away. This is just personal for me. Um, I, I, I don't want to see Eric Bieniemy. I don't just because I, I, I don't like him as a person. Um, I think he's just not a great guy. Um, absolute genius, right? He's incredibly smart with his play design. Um, also, I would like to say that while watching that Super Bowl um, where he got absolutely dismantled by Todd Bowles' defense, uh, it looked like there were a couple plays there that he stole from the Bears. Um, we know Sean McVay stole a couple plays from the Bears after their uh, humiliating defeat in uh, 2018. Uh, but it looked like Eric Bieniemy was stealing some um, some naggy plays. At least it looked like there were like two shovel passes that I noticed in the Super Bowl and the AFC chip that made me go, hmm, looks a little naggy-esque. Uh, but I, I don't want to see uh, the enemy. And honestly, this is pure speculation. But with Andy Reid's health problems, I wouldn't be surprised if this might be the last year Andy Reid coaches a professional football team uh, in a head coach capacity. I wouldn't be surprised if we see towards the end of the season, Eric kind of steps up, becomes that interim head coach. Maybe Andy has more health problems. Who knows? But this is becoming more and more of a frequent phenomenon for Andy Reid. Uh, thankfully, he's all you know, he's healthy now or at least he's recovering. Uh, but if this is something that's going to continue to happen with, with increasing intensity, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs make at least force Eric to stay and, and, and promote him with within. So, yeah, I mean, there's, you're completely right. There's a lot of good names out there. And fortunately, after the huge hiring blitz last season, the Bears are kind of sitting here in the dust going, well, <laughs> might be a perfect time to trade in our old car for a new one. And I, what I don't want to see is us hire a defensive mind. I don't want to see that. I really don't. And I also don't, as much as I would like to, I mean, I, I brought this up in the past and there's definitely a possibility for it. Let me know what you guys think. But the Bears like to keep things a little internal. I wouldn't be surprised to see them just promote Sean Desai after a season of coaching the defense. Um, it's not what I want to see, if I'm being completely honest with you. Because ideally, we'd like to have a head coach that has over a year of <laughs> coordinator experience. Um, but that's just that's just what I don't want to see. I don't want to see a defensive-minded coach. Um, and I like be, I like Dable. I, I like Kevin O'Connell. I like I don't like Joe Brady as much because I think you know I want to see a little more out of him. Uh, and and yeah, that's 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 kind of where I'm sitting. Although if there were was a defensive coach that we would hire as a head coach, I'd be totally down with Todd Balls, like with, without a doubt. 
Yeah, I don't know that I'd be okay with Desai getting promoted yet. And I like you were saying, a guy with one year of experience isn't really up for promotion, in my opinion. I don't think they'd do that necessarily either, because if I'm not mistaken, Vic Fangio was on the on the coaching staff when Nagy got hired, and he didn't obviously get promoted. They brought in an outside hire. But it also could be the reason why they bring in Desai and say, oh, well, it didn't work last time, so let's try this instead. So I can see going either way. I, I really don't trust the Bears to make the right decision anyway, regardless. So... But yeah, like you were saying, I'm good with any of those coaches. I'd also throw out the name Kellen Moore as well, just as a quick another one. He that Cowboys offense is virtually unstoppable. Again, they're loaded with weapons, but they literally make everybody look good. From Cedric Wilson, um, C.D. Lamb looked amazing from day one, which he is regardless. But everybody who steps in there at tight end also has looked good. From Dalton Schultz to uh, can't remember the other guy's name. I'm drawing a blank. Um, but regardless, they got they got a ton of people that utilize they utilize and they use them all very well. So. I like the way he does his thing. Um, but back to the whole decide getting promoted. Yeah, I, I just don't really see that happening. Um, I would like to see him stay. It looks like he's doing a pretty good job here. We'll touch on that when we talk about the defense a little bit. But I, I do like him here, just not really as a head coach yet. All right, listen, let's switch gears to the defense. Kellen Moore is another name to keep an eye on because he has been calling plays for three years. But let's throw the talk. We'll get to the tight end talk in a moment here, but let's talk silver linings first because I think this defense, Robert Quinn's having a resurgent year. He's got more sacks in 2021 than he did all of 2020, which is a really positive sign because, I mean, a lot of people, including myself, absolutely trash Robert Quinn. But I also think when you look at the snap counts, Rob Quinn was out there for about 78% of snaps so he does have a vastly reduced role this year in terms of how he's being used I also have to say one of my big takeaways from the defense is that there's been a couple times this season and in this Bears-Browns game I saw Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks lined up on the same side so moving Khalil Mack around has certainly contributed to the Bears playing a um, really solid game and then also when you look at it yeah Jalen Johnson's looking good too but go ahead Max yeah, I just want to take back my statement about Todd Bowles. I forgot the New York Jets existed. Uh, my apologies. I just came back to mind. I said, wait a second. Yeah, Todd Bowles wasn't a great uh, head coach, but he's a fantastic defensive coordinator. Shout out um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm in Florida, so it, it's fun watching them every once in a while. Although I will say I was going to go to the Bears-Buccaneers game, but the prices are insane. And I don't know if that's because I just won the Super Bowl. I feel like it definitely is. Uh, but like $300 for nosebleeds should be illegal. NFL, please. I know you had a hard year. Or at least Tampa Bay Buccaneers, please. I know paying Tom Brady. Uh, but uh, please, please make it a little more accessible for uh, us out-of-state fans to, to go to Raymond James, which I heard is actually a pretty good stadium. But back to uh, what, what we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, sir, there's definitely some standouts. Um, Robert Quinn, you know, I, that, that, is an, that is a phenomenon. Because I guess, I guess he was right. Like, I guess Robert Quinn was right. He knew he could do better. He was hurt the entire season. And now that he's not, he's doing better. It's kind of crazy. Like we're like, where is this coming from? You look back to some of the press conferences. It's like, yeah, no, I've I've had a I had a toe issue and I had back issues, and now he's healthy. I guess he's still on the injury report every week for some reason, but he's still he's performing. Uh, maybe he's adjusted to the position that he's been asked to play uh, as more of the outside guy uh, on on you know one tech versus uh, two three tech. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, that's definitely something to, to look forward to is, is Robert Quinn continuing to dominate uh, the offensive, the, sorry, the defensive line looks great. Uh, Jalen Johnson definitely still has room for improvement, but I mean, I'm totally comfortable with the Kyle Fuller uh, situation now that Jalen Johnson is legitimately becoming one of the top five cornerbacks in the league, uh, creating his own little island over there. And yeah, I mean, again, we have we definitely have depth issues in the secondary, but this game against the, the Browns really showed that it's not as bad as it could be because of good scheming. Oh my gosh, look at that. Good coaches make good situations for mediocre players. Crazy. Uh, good job, jo- Sean Desai. He's doing his job. He's a pretty good coach. Uh, so just just looking down the line, you know, we're looking ahead towards the Lions who are completely win-hungry, right? They should be realistically 2-1 and one right now, in my opinion. The fact that they almost beat the Ravens is crazy. Uh, do not sleep on this Lions team, even though they're 0-3. They want to win. They want to win bad. I think they might want to win more than we do, especially if the players are hearing. Okay, let me ask you this real quick. I'm sorry to like derail, but if you're a Chicago Bears player and you don't like Matt Nagy and you look at Twitter and you see, oh, if the Bears lose against the Lions, Matt Nagy might be fired. Does that incentivize you to play? <laughs> I would honestly, if I, if, if I was a player and I was told Matt I would be fired if we lost, I might honestly throw like 100%. I'd be willing to do that. That's because that's what I'm wondering. Because I mean, I, I'm getting paid regardless, right? I got I got my guaranteed paycheck. But if I know I don't like this guy, and I'm seeing reports that oh well, if we lose this game, uh, then we might have a new head coach. Hell yeah, I'm going to throw. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm getting paid. Like as a fan, you don't want to see that happen. But I mean, that's it's on the table in my opinion uh, against against the Lions. So that's some, definitely something to watch. But uh, we have a press conference tomorrow, a random media availability for Matt Nagy tomorrow. Uh, we're going to see what he has to say. I swear to God, if it's him saying Nick Foles is our guy, that's how you know they're throwing. That is 100% how you know you're throwing because Nick Foles doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to start for this offense. He doesn't like Matt Nagy at all. So if that happens, without a doubt, we're, we're not going to win the game. You can, you can write it off, and you can put me on blast if we somehow miraculously do. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, if Nick Foles gets put in, the only funny thing would be is that Nagy would call a play and Nick Foles would laugh and then call his own plays. That'd be kind of funny to watch, just the whole meltdown. Maybe it would get Matt Nagy fired. So maybe Matt Nagy's doing it to get himself fired. I have no idea. Maybe he just wants to get out of here. But uh, back to the defense in general, I was very impressed with how they looked. Um, five sacks overall against arguably – probably actually the best offensive line in the NFL. Uh, they were the highest pass block grading uh, offensive line, according to pro football focus last year, they returned every single one of their starters uh, from left to right. And then they added some great depth as well. And they just have an unbelievable offensive line for us. They have five sacks on them with Matt getting two, uh, Robert Quinn getting one and a half. And I think Angelo Blackson had a half a sack too as well. But overall, Mario Edwards had one as well. First game back, it was great to see. But that's just very impressive. Like, it seems like Sean Desai is doing some very good things over there in Chicago on the defensive side of the ball. Again, they did let up a ton of yards of offense, but they literally only had 50 yards of offense for them. So very hard to stop anything on defense when your offense is out on the field for literally 30 seconds and then defense right back out there. Defense really has no motivation when the offense can't move the ball. So 
Again, I'm like you were saying too, Max, I'm very happy with the steps Jalen Johnson has taken forward. I would like to see a better cornerback too there right now as Vildor's kind of struggling. But still, Jalen Johnson, unbelievable find. Great job, Ryan Pace again. Awesome talent evaluator. Jalen Johnson's obviously becoming elite already in front of our eyes in only his second season. So overall, his defense is coming together. Just the offense needs to come together with it. Yeah, I mean, you know who else was on the field for long? The tight ends. I mean, you look at it. I've got the snap counts pulled up in front of me. And those drop like every Tuesday morning, by the way, on NFL.com. So go look at them. And you can just get a real feel for like what the entire game plan was and what kind of personnel packages were called. But you have Cole Komet who played... 43 snaps, so he was that's 96% of snaps right there. Okay. Um, then you have Jimmy Graham who played seven snaps at 16%. Jesse James played one snap for two percent, and then all the other tight ends like JP Holtz were just special teams guys. Max, I'm gonna go to you first because these tight ends are not being involved in the game like they should be. The Bears have put so much stock into Cole Komet that we're going into week four. We're still waiting for a breakout performance. All right, Jimmy Graham kind of retweeted the stat from NFL and CBS that the bears are like the only team that's averaged 1.1 yards per play in the last 100 years or something. It was some crazy stat like that. I totally forgot. It was roughly along those lines, but yo, what's wrong with the tight end position? Because we've invested, the bears have invested a lot into this and they are not reaping the rewards of their investment. Well, I mean, imagine buying a, brand new Lamborghini and refusing to drive it. Imagine, because that's, like, that's essentially what the Bears are doing. Like, oh, I, I just got this toy. I asked it for Christmas. I got it. I really love it. I'm just going to put it on the shelf and never look at it. And, and you know, I'm never going to use it because, I don't know, maybe maybe I didn't really want it after all. There's There's no logical explanation as to why the Bears aren't utilizing their tight end room. Why are you keeping five names on the roster, Jesper Horstead being one of them, and not using any of them in your offense? It makes no sense to me. You're literally cutting wide receiver depth for tight end depth, but you're not using your tight ends in the offensive scheme whatsoever. Outside of week one, okay? So Cole Komet is five targets. He's the second most targeted tight end week one. Okay, cool. That doesn't carry over. I don't care about the one little out. I carry about consistency, correct? Cole Komet was a target second half of the season last year. He was a target. He was an important target. Mitch got him the ball a lot. Why? Because mobile quarterbacks lean on their mobile tight ends. It's just, it's just a facet of life. You're out of the pocket, may not have the time to get the ball down the field. What do you do? You check down to your tight end. It's about five, six yards down the field. That's a viable offense in the professional football league these days. You don't have to look for the big, big bombs every game or every play. You don't have to look for your little nine hooks every game, especially when you're running a spread against man. And every defense in the NFL knows what Matt Nagy's doing. And they're running these mans. And Matt Nagy isn't doing anything, literally doing anything to stop these man defenses against his spread offense. There's nothing he's doing. Well, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe you package the tight ends and 12 personnel. You move them around a little bit. You move the wide receivers around a little bit. You give the quarterback a chance to read the defense. You know, maybe you pound the ball a little bit, open up the play action game, and there you go. There's like zero sense to not use these tight ends. I could talk about this all day long because Cole Komet's an incredibly talented 
a positional player. He just is. He's, an, he's, he's a gifted athlete. He has great hands. Fundamentally, he's exactly what you want in a tight end, but he's being ruined. Jimmy Graham is still a serviceable year left. I think he could still perform. You could put up, he, he like led the league in last year in touchdowns for tight ends. But again, what are we doing with him this year? Nothing. Because why? I don't know. It's Matt Nagy. I, I can't explain that. Yeah, 100%. Like, I don't get why. Again, I'm, I'm a big Jimmy Graham fan. I love his ability. I think he's a great player still. Still has some, some fuel left in him. I don't get why we're paying him if he's just going to sit on the bench. Why is he being paid all that money just to sit on the bench? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Again, like I said, I think he could be a valuable part. Like you were saying, Max, he's a touchdown machine. He catches everything in the end zone. Makes crazy one-handed catches. He makes – like the touchdown he had against the Saints where he just walked off. It was an unbelievable catch. He just walked off like it was nothing because that is normal to him. He is an unbelievable touchdown threat, and we're just not using him. People wonder why we can't score points because we're not – this all, this all comes around again – because we're not using our players to their abilities correctly. And, again, we could – Talk on this forever, but I'll just say again, Cole Clement needs to be used more. He needs to be schemed open. Just counter this man, please. Like all you have to do is put him out wide, put him one on with the corner. If they're if they're running man coverage, put him one on one with a slot corner. They're not gonna be able to cover him. He is a big body tight end. He will win every single jump ball against a little five nine slot corner. I just it's just so confusing to me. There's nothing wrong with this tight end position. It's just not being used correctly, as usual. Okay, so if you watch Monday Night Football between Dallas and Philadelphia last night, which would basically have been the end of week three, one of the things that really stuck out to me was how Dallas, and again, Kellen Moore tweeted this, he's an incredibly smart play caller, very situationally aware of what's going on, is able to put his players in a position to succeed. But the way that Dallas used their tight ends and then had Dak Prescott basically roll out of the pocket, all right, and then just hit, I believe it was, Blake Jarwin, I forgot the other tight end same, hit those guys on those um, really short throws. It might have been Dalton Schultz. Yeah, hit those guys on those really short throws, all right, those quick slant routes, that quick play action. I think that's how the Bears need to be utilizing guys like Cole Komet, okay? I don't know why Jimmy Graham, again, Jimmy Graham, he can still be an effective option just in a situational role. There's no point in throwing him out there necessarily as like a full-time starter unless you're going to go with 12 and 13 personnel which honestly is what this offense should be running for the most part i'm sorry if i contradicted myself there but you need to get cole Komet involved more in this passing game because it's been very clear that teams are basically looking at the bears offense and they're saying oh so this is what this team's gonna run hey well guess what let's just cover up mooney and robinson and now the quarterbacks can have nowhere to go your tight end is basically your safety blanket for any offense and unfortunately the bears who have had consistent issues at the tight end position in the ryan pace era outside of zach miller have basically the long-term solution on the roster i know fans love to bash on kokomet but cole honestly let's be real he is much better than a lot of people give him Credit for he's also got really solid hands. Only had two drops during his rookie season, even though he had like twenty eight receptions. Okay, something like that. But again, Cole commits really solid, so you need to get him involved more. This offense is always going to be at its best when the tight end is consistently involved. You need to use that big body, that six six two fifty guy, and have him basically eat up chunks on the middle of the field all right go down the seam go with a couple deep posts or slant routes okay you need to do that with cole Komet. make these linebackers and safeties pay and thinking about tackling and covering him twice every single time
Do you guys want to add anything to that? No, that you basically covered it. I mean, like you're saying, Matt, just got to use him better. Just got to use Grant better. That's kind of just the summary of everything I've said, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So, Joe, let's switch over to this then, right? Because there's a weekly segment. We got Herb's hot takes. I think you're what? One for one so far? Two one for and, two. Yeah, one for, one two. for two. So give me a Herb's <laughs> hot take this week, man. What do we have? So just review. Obviously, my hot take was absolutely horrendous last week. Um, I forgot that Matt Nagy was our head coach and our play caller. So he limited Justin Fields a lot. So um, my hot take is that we lose the Lions. Um, <laughs> I, I think that we're going to lose the Lions. I think that Justin Fields will start. I think that the offense is going to be limited to, once again, under, I'm going to say, under 250 yards of offense against this horrid Lions defense. And that Jared Goff doesn't necessarily pick apart this defense, but he moves the ball down the field enough to get them to scoring position. And they ultimately win this game in a low scoring game. Yeah, that could really work. And Max, did you want to expand on Joe's hot take here? Because I feel like a lot of bears fans are going to write the lines off the entire week. And then this game's going to take place on Sunday at 12 o'clock central time. And then all of a sudden, one of the big things that you're going to see is this, is that surprisingly the lines have been much better than most people are going to give them credit for. Yeah, I mean, that per- makes perfect sense. To me, that's not a hot take at all. Um, I think that's a pretty just, um, I think that's more of like gospel. I think that's what's going to happen at this point. Um, Bears love to write off the Lions. I like to write off the Lions. Entire league likes to write off the Lions because they're the Lions. Uh, but the Lions look a little different. They got a little, uh, they got a little bite to them this year. Uh, obviously, Jared Goff. DeAndre Swift, this uh, uh, TJ Hawkins in this offense has weapons. This offense can move. Um, this defense isn't really anything to write home about. They were able to pretty much put a damper on Lamar Jackson last week, though, which is interesting. Uh, but I mean, ultimately, they still pretty, you know, they able to put up points, right? Offenses are able to put up points against the Lions. The Lions are able to put up points quick too, though. So this is really, again, I think it's going to be a low-scoring good game. I completely agree, with Joe. I think it's really going to be more of a defensive uh, a battle because one defense is good enough. I think to keep the lines in check, but two uh, bears offense isn't good enough to really take advantage of the weak lines defense. So I'm not anticipating a whole lot of points on the board, but yeah, there's really no keys to victory for me because everything I knew is completely out the window now. I just don't really know what to expect. I think this week should be a good reset for everybody to kind of figure out what's next. Um, There's nothing that we can say that hasn't been said about how are you going to win this game or how are you going to win football games with this team? So I I don't know. I I honestly think we just take a loss here. Um, And unfortunately we don't have a bye week for like 10 weeks. So (laughs) not a lot of time to recuperate here, but one week at a time is, is kind of what you have to, to view this team at right now. Sorry, I was yawning there. But anyway, Max kind of got into our last point here, which is important to the game against the Lions. Look, I'm going to say this. I think what this game is this is that it's an opportunity to show that last week was an absolute fluke. And the reason I'm saying opportunity to show in quotation marks is because we know that last week was an absolute fluke. We knew that Matt Nagy absolutely and the Bears absolutely should have game plan better, but nobody did. It was just like 
getting out there. I felt like it was all intentional, even though we kind of broke some down at the start of the episode. But the importance of this game is that you have an opportunity to finally get it right. You have an opportunity to go home, get a win in front of your home crowd. All right. You know, defense, you know, is probably going to be fired up because they are playing a pretty decent Lions offense. But I would take the Bears offense over a Jared Goff led Lions offense. I'm sorry, the Bears defense over the Jared Goff Lions offense any day because the Bears have kind of seen over the last couple of years. Once you start to fluster Jared Goff, he does tend to get out of rhythm. And the moment he's out of rhythm, he's all over the place. I have to say this though that Lions offense, they have two first rounders, Frank Ragnow as well as Panay Sewell. They are a pretty solid offensive line. I think that that front five right there has made Jared Goff look better than a lot of people expected. But the importance of this game for the Bears is merely that you're going to be in a situation where you just need to get your legs underneath you okay this team's going to continue to have to take baby steps to truly get to the top and you know what you need all the wins you can get right now you need to play mistake-free football i also think that if justin field starts then it's just going to be another opportunity to properly game plan around justin fields and just fully see that hey this is what justin's able to do i have to say this as well though it's also going to depend on who's calling plays and what the bears are trying to do but max and i are going to be breaking this game down more extensively on youtube so we're going to be recording hopefully on thursday dropping it on friday but joe what's the importance of this game and let's get out of this place and call it a night yeah so i'd say obviously the importance of this game is just justin fields development i think he's going to start this game again i don't think dalton's 100 percent. i think fields hand is fine i think now he just made a precaution just to try and get an excuse to possibly sit him, but he's fine. So I think he's going to start. I think this is a good chance for Fields to get his feet wet, play against a, a subpar defense, and potentially, I mean, he might not break out this game, but have the ability to have time to throw the ball. It's not like he's facing the kind of pass versus the Browns having Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. So he should have time to throw the ball. He can let plays develop. Hopefully Matt Nagy obviously doesn't call stupid plays, but he always will. So maybe, I don't know, maybe something will open up and Justin Fields can maybe develop. I don't. It's just so hard to tell. We just need Justin Fields to be able to get the experience that he needs, and that's kind of what we need. So it just all really falls on Nagy. We really need to see how Nagy adjusts the Lions, what he's going to do game plan-wise. Yeah, there's not even a freaking clear plan in place, it seems like, to develop Justin Fields at this point, which Baldy McBald bald kind of preached the word plan since Justin Fields was drafted. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it from us. Um, Thanks for tuning in to episode 50. Certainly, here's to the next 50 as I have my vitamin water and my candy corn for dinner. Pretty, pretty healthy. Um, I promise I'll start eating healthier this week as well, but make sure you're following us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. Check out empire sports media as well as our sponsor audacia sports go get your charles stillman your justin fields your jalen johnson sticker packs on there they are have always been great to us and we continue to grow as a result of them they continue to grow as a result of us make sure you're following myself joe and max on twitter at max smith esm at usaid koshal and then at joseph Herf nfl that's going to do it from us guys good morning good evening and good night bear down continue to stay loyal to this team even though they continue to give you fits every sunday we'll see you guys next week with episode 51 one where hopefully we're discussing and breaking down some key storylines and points from a bears win but bye bye guys have a good one